Let's pray before we come to this. Father God, we do pray that you would help us to to see what it means uh, to live as single men and women, uh, that it would impact our lives, um, that it would impact others, that we would seek to understand how to best uh, live uh, for you in whatever circumstance you've placed us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think about singleness, people may think that, well, it's just not relevant to me. It must be relevant to someone else. But as you think about it, many of us, many of us will be single. Maybe we're not single right now, but our circumstances may change. Our life circumstances change. Some of us may be looking for a spouse right now, but perhaps others are going through a divorce or a separation. Some of us may experience a bereavement at some part of our life. Maybe we may have a, an ill partner you know, where it feels like we are single in our marriage. Other circumstances may be that we're, we're in a marriage where a partner is not a believer, and so it feels like we are alone in the marriage, or at least we're alone in our walk with the Lord. Whatever our circumstances are right now, things may change. And so we all need to know how to live as a single Christian, as a single person. If you're looking for for further reading on this, um, Sam Albury, as we heard earlier, his book called Seven Myths About Singleness is really helpful on this topic. It has a lot of really good insights. And in thinking about singleness, I'd like us to, to think about it in five categories, five Fs, if you like. Firstly, really to to bring clarity to to what singleness is and what it's not. Um, I think it's helpful to understand what the world might say, what people who don't have faith, non-believers, what they would would offer, if you like. And what they offer is a fallacy, as the world offers a lie. If you watch any TV show, any film, any YouTube video about singleness, it's really quite easy to understand what the world says. The big idea is that you should have as much fun as possible and that you should be as expressive as you possibly can. And whilst there's there's nothing wrong with with having fun and and expressing ourselves clearly, the most common way that that is found today to express ourselves is through sex and sexuality. And that is summed up in a number of TV shows, but one particular is the very popular TV show called Love Island. It's where very good-looking people, highly sexualized young people, find love, they say, as they swap partners and swap beds along this dating journey. It's a popular show that really preaches the idea of today, that you must be true to yourself, that you must be authentic. And to be authentic, you must be sexually fulfilled. And on the flip side, on the other side of the coin, if you're not doing that, if you're not exploring yourself sexually, well, you're you're not really living. You're not really alive. You're wasting your life. As Sam Aubrey, he says that, that many people think that A life absent of romantic hope is a life only partially fulfilled. 
A life absent of romantic hope is a life only partially fulfilled. And that is the big idea today in the UK. That to be, to be fully human is to be sexually fulfilled. And as a result, the, the Christian teaching on, on celibacy and abstaining from sex before marriage is not just seen as sucking the joy out of life, but it's actually seen as harmful. It's seen as dangerous. Because really the idea is of identity, who we are as people. Because the world would say our primary identity is found in who we are sexually. But actually, whether we're believers or not, our true identity is that we are made in the image of God, that we are image bearers of him, that we're made for relationship with him and then with one another in an intimate way. The problem is today that that sex and intimacy are often collapsed together. They're seen as one thing rather than two separate things. Because sex and intimacy are seen as the same thing. Perhaps though, before we might turn and and judge other people, as Christians we can often get swept into this way of thinking. The same way of thought, the same thought really. Because as singles there's the real temptation, a strong temptation, to think that we are missing out. That other people, well they just seem to, they seem to have it all. And we're living this kind of subpar existence. Because we don't have a man or a woman in our lives to love us. And that is the great lie of today. That is the lie. Because as believers, our lives are not our own. We are bought at a price by the Lord Jesus. That we are united to him. That we experience that intimacy with him. And that our lives would bring glory to him. And that is really challenging because overall, more and more people are becoming single. As research from the US that was done in 2019, it says that roughly 4 in 10 adults aged between 25 and 54, that is 38%, were unpartnered. That is neither married nor living with a partner. And that is sharply up from 29% in 1990. As both men and women are single, there is, there is far more singleness today than there is, ever has been, even cohabitation. And the big picture is that more and more people today are single. Now for some, maybe the initial appeal of singleness seems like freedom. It seems like the golden ticket for some. But yet, as you read news reports... Never have so many people been so lonely. And many might think, well, if I just get into a relationship, if I just get married, then I'll be happy. But even that doesn't fill the longing that is in our heart. Because we're made for something greater. We're made for someone greater. And so when it comes to singleness, the world offers us a fallacy. But the Lord, he offers us fullness, as Jesus is sufficient. Sometimes people might come up to you, or they have come up to me, 
in the past uh, and said to me, well, you're not married yet? What are you doing? To which I say, thanks for the encouragement. And, and they say, it wasn't an encouragement, to which I say, yes, I know. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, ha- it's challenging. Because, as Dave said, you, people might think you are strange, you're odd for not being married. Others might say, well, maybe the Lord has someone lined up for you. But he has someone for you. And whilst that might be encouraging, marriage is not our ultimate goal. Jesus is our ultimate goal. And Jesus was never married. The most fully human person that ever existed, he was never married and he never had sex. And before we think, well, that is Jesus. He is the son of God. We have to turn our minds back to 1 John chapter 1 where Jesus is fully human. Jesus is a fully human person, just like you and I. He came in human human form, as the Apostle John says in chapter 10 of his gospel. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to the full. The gospel invitation for each one of us as believers is to experience that fullness of life that the Lord Jesus holds out to us in the gospel. That Jesus truly would be our treasure. That we would love him above everything and everyone. That he would just fill our hearts with his love. That he would be our satisfaction. That all he has done for us on the cross that we would be able to turn to him and say, you are my good shepherd, and in you I lack nothing. There is no better place to be than in his presence, as we meet with the Lord in prayer and in his word, that our lives would just radiate with the joy of Jesus, because he loves us. He loves us day upon day, even though we turn our backs on him. And so in a sense, it's not so much whether we are single or married. It's whether we're satisfied in Jesus. Whether we really love him in our hearts. Because if we're not satisfied, if there isn't that sense of sufficiency in Jesus, then we will begin to fill our cup with something else. With some other thing. With an idol. Because we might be tempted then to to turn and to idolize our marriage, or it turns to idolize our marriage, to find that perfect partner. We might idolize the marriage that we're in. We might be looking to perhaps think, well, actually, the single people, they have it much easier than us as married people. We might turn and idolize our, our children, that we would love them far more than we love the Lord. Maybe we turn to our jobs or our holidays or anything else that takes that place of Jesus. Anything that takes the priority of your first love. Because if we're truly satisfied in him, if we really love him from the depths of our hearts, then we will live for him. We'll live lives for Jesus. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. It means that if we are living in a relationship of love with the Lord Jesus, things should be different. Our lives should be different. 
Holiness is a mark which should be part of our lives. A holy life is a whole life, a full life, a contented life. As God calls us to to live for him wherever he has placed us. It means that singleness, as we think about a gift of singleness, singleness is not some super spiritual gift that maybe some people might have. But it's for everyone if you are placed as a single person. You don't have the gift of marriage. You might say, but you are married or you are single. The Lord has placed you there and he's given you enough to be sufficient. The challenge is that we would recognize that, that we would see that Jesus is sufficient in whatever place we are put. And when it comes to, to marriage, well, Jesus says that it shouldn't really be entered into lightly. As he, as he says in 1 Corinthians, being married carries with it many troubles, many challenges, as your heart is divided. It's divided between your spouse and the Lord. However, one big advantage, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32, is that an unmarried man or woman, for that matter, is solely concerned about the Lord's affairs. As we heard from Dave, you, you are freed up to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, wherever he calls you. There is a temptation as well to, to overwork, because there's nobody to tell you to stop. But we are free We are free to be able to serve the Lord wherever he calls us. And so we have that freedom, wherever God may call us. And perhaps it may be that the Lord is calling you to to serve abroad. Maybe it's to, to start a Bible study with someone, as Val was speaking about. Maybe it's something else that the Lord would call you to do. Because you have that time, that freedom to serve. I suppose the, the question is, whether we're, whether we're married or single, does Jesus satisfy? Is he really enough for you? That you would follow him and do anything for him? That the Lord, as he calls you to go somewhere, you would go anywhere, wherever he calls you to go. Because there's, there's a worldly idea that the fallacy of singleness from the world, the fullness of Jesus, and thirdly, family as we share life as a church in Paul's letter to Thessalonica he describes them as brothers and sisters and says in in chapter 2 of Thessalonians uh, 1 Thessalonians just as a, a nursing brother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not just the gospel of God but our lives as well Gospel words and gospel works should go together hand in hand. And indeed, as we experienced this morning, this afternoon, it was wonderful to be able to share that with one another, to share that family meal with one another, to experience that together. And whether we are single or not, we have that opportunity to be able to share lives with people, to be able to share our homes, have lunches, have dinners with one another. And we don't want to rest on our laurels because some people are doing it. We want to press on and let other people, let many people, as as many as we can, serve the Lord and serve one another as we open our homes and our lives to others. Because Paul says it's it's not just about giving a meal or giving a bed to someone, 
But it's about the way that it's done. As he says, it's like a nursing mother to children. That we would do it with love. With real love for one another. Love that can only really be experienced in a family. Because many people, as they, as they follow Jesus, well, they may need to actually find a family because they are disowned from their own family. Or they may be cut adrift from their family. Jesus speaks about that in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10. Peter at one point says to him, we've left everything to follow you, boasting perhaps about what he's done for Jesus. And Jesus, he responds to him saying this, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Because today there are lots of people who have to leave their homes, have to leave their families to follow Jesus. I know of uh, people who were coming from a, a Muslim background who lived not far away, who were excommunicated from their families and at risk of being killed because they followed Jesus. I heard of a, a Roman Catholic young man who was financially and relationally cut off from his family because he decided to follow Jesus. They didn't even come to his wedding. And so church, in that way, cannot just be an event. It has to be family. Because as disciples of Jesus, our lives and our homes should be open to people, especially to those within the family of faith, that we would give keys to people in the Lord. Personally speaking, I've benefited so much from from this, from Christian families who have just folded me into their lives. Not just to have a meal or, or sleep in a room, but to truly feel loved. To feel that love of a family. As someone once said, loneliness is the one form of suffering that no Christian should experience. Loneliness is the one form of suffering that no Christian should experience. Perhaps the question to reflect on tonight is, who might we open our home and our life to? Who might we be that brother, that spiritual brother, that spiritual sister, mother or father to? Not because we pity them, but because we love them. That we would be able to demonstrate the love of Jesus to others in all that the Lord has done for us. And so that is family. And fourthly, friends being deeply known. Often in today's world, which is really saturated in innuendo, and the notion that that people might have an intimate friendship without sexual undertones is seen as a foreign idea, very strange and odd. Yet in speaking in this idea, Sam Aubrey, he says, people can have lots of sex and not have intimacy, and lots of intimacy that has nothing to do with sex. The two are very separate, very distinct. One perhaps biblical example of that is the friendship between David and Jonathan. As it says in 1 Samuel that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. 
and it says that David loved him more than any woman. Now, maybe the, the Western reader of today would assume that there's something, something homosexual there, that there's feelings that are unusual. Forgetting really that, that all deep soul level friendships need not be sexual. Because what we're talking about is a deep friendship. Not like the, the Facebook uh, perhaps superficial likes that we might receive from people that we are not sure if we actually know them. But people that really love us and know us at a deep level. A soul level. Someone that you can share your secrets with. Someone that you can share your big joys with. Someone that you confess, conf- confess your, your sin, your sufferings with. Someone who really knows how you think and how you tick. As a young Christian, I remember just how hard it was to live for Jesus in the context of a rugby club. Playing rugby was the easy part. Everything else around it was the difficult thing. And I remember asking my good friend uh, to pray for me and that I would make good decisions and, and not stay out too late. And he said, I'll do you one better. I'll text you at 11.30 and ask where you are. <laughs> and sure enough, he did text me to ask me where I was. Because he loved me enough as a friend to help me. He loved me enough to help me in what was a really hostile environment. That is what true friendship is. It's knowing someone well enough and being intentional enough in their life to love them and support them. Vaughn Roberts, in his short little book called True Friendship, which is a really great read, sums up this idea in saying, there is a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be, as they say, myself. But what I really need are friendships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more like Jesus. We can have many acquaintances and even friendships with others. But we should be intentional in having a few of those really deep friendships. People that really know us. That we would encourage one another in the Lord. As when life gets really hard, you do realize who your friends are. As it says in Proverbs 17:17, 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. I wouldn't be where I am with the Lord if it were not for friends. Good friends that know me and love me and call me out when they need to. And I pray that, that as I reciprocate this kind of friendship to others, that, that they would be mutually encouraged as well. Maybe the question for each one of us tonight is, whether we're single or married, is do, do you have a friend like that in your life? Could you be a friend to someone like that? Is there someone that you can go deeper with, that you, you know them intimately and you, you know them inside and out and they know you and so that is friends and the final F is future as our lives point forward there's a certain freedom when it comes to to thinking about being single or even 
being married because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 29 time is short and time is short because life is short Paul goes on to explain that if you're if you're married you should live with such a such a heavenly perspective that it that life is really only momentary and if you're happy if you're mourning if you're buying material things or whatever you're doing all these things won't last because life is short. Having the mindset like this really should, should liberate us from, from falling into perhaps an obsession with finding a partner or maybe moaning about the partner that we have. Because as Paul says, we need not be engrossed in the world because it's all passing away. This is a heavenly mindset. A wonderfully liberating way of thinking because all that we have will remain in this world we can't take things with us we can't even take the people that we love with us as you look to the the future we have to remind ourselves that our marriages are not forever Jesus says we won't be married in heaven there is no marriage to one another in heaven as our standing before the Lord won't it won't rest on our spouse but on where we stand with the Lord. And so if we're, we're married or we're looking to be married, we need to remind ourselves that, that really it is only Jesus that can satisfy. As only Jesus saves us, our spouse cannot. And that's because ultimately our lives point to a greater reality. As it was in the garden, Adam and Eve were to live in that intimate relationship with the Lord. And yet they rejected him and hid from him. But now today, for those trusted in Jesus, he is our bridegroom and we are his bride. He laid down his life for us, that he would give us eternal life and make us holy and spotless and blameless in his sight. As our lives today as Christians, whether we're married or not, all point forward to that future day, to our wedding day, as Jesus is our bridegroom and we are his bride. He calls us into that unending, intimate relationship with him in heaven. And so the call for us today is to live our lives in light of that day. The day when the Lord will welcome us as his bride into his presence. And this future reality should shape how we live today, that we would be satisfied in Jesus. As Sam Albury says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows its sufficiency. That as Christians, our lives would point beyond ourselves. That not even, not even our partners would squeeze between us and our love of the Lord Jesus. So much so that our lives would just radiate with his goodness in our lives. That we wouldn't think about ourselves but look to him and be content in all that he's done for us. As we think about these five pieces, 
we're going to just split into to prayer, um, just in groups, maybe between four and six, say, um, and just pray through some of these uh, these aspects. Maybe perhaps for ourselves, if we are if we are single, whether whether we're married or single, that we would trust in the Lord, that we would see that He is sufficient, that Jesus really is sufficient. Uh, maybe thinking of family, friends, that we would be that friend, that we would open our homes to people, that we would really engage and love people. And lastly, that we would have that perspective, that heavenly perspective um, as we live our lives. So maybe let's spend maybe 10 minutes or so, 10, 12 minutes, just in small groups, just praying through these things, perhaps people on your heart, perhaps your own life. Let's spend some time in prayer.